welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. All right, Abundant Life Church, Marriage at the Movies is our series for the month, and we are excited about that as well. And before we uh, dive deep into this today, uh, members, don't forget, in a couple of weeks, on the 20th, uh, we'll have our annual vision meeting right after the second service. Child care is provided, so make that a priority, if you will, with us on that, and um, want to welcome those online, our online campus as well. Come on, would you welcome them? Come on. Good to have you with us today. Well, before we get into this, uh, our time today and our talk together, what I'd like to do is just join, if we join our hearts together, and we would just pray that our hearts and minds would be open, ready to receive God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together in your house with the people of God. We thank you for your word today, that our hearts are open and our minds are ready. And we're ready to receive your word, Lord, readily, that this seed will go in and it will bear fruit. There will be roots that will go deep into our life. Father, thank you for it. Thank you for your love for us, Lord, that you want us to have with one another and for one another, we pray. Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. So this month on uh, Marriage at the Movies, we are just going to open it up, and it's going to be an amazing time together. But how many of you have heard the saying, and they lived happily ever after? after. Yeah. You've heard that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We love that. We love it. We love every movie to end that way, don't we? And, you know, sometimes if we're going to watch a movie, um, we'll watch the trailer before we watch the movie because we want to get the perception of what's going to happen. Is it going to be worth our time? Is it going to be good enough to really invest that time in to sit and watch that movie? We like to watch the trailer and see this short snippet of of what's to come. It whets our appetite, the conflicts, the highs and lows, the plot twists. Really, (laughs) sometimes you get a good idea of how's how the movie's going to end and what's going to happen in the movie just by watching the trailer. It's the perception of it. It really is. And so as we take the month of February and talk about marriage at the movies, I know I've heard many of you say you're excited about this series. And so our marriages are like that many times. And uh, we see a movie and we're like, I'm not sure if that's really what it's about. Other times you may say, yeah, that's that's how my marriage is. But um, for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about this week, Today, you and I are going to be sharing about the perception of marriage, how we see and view it. And next week, Pastor Mike and Megan are talking about, are we on the same script saying the same thing? That's going to be a good one. Really important, yeah. Pastor Ben and Claire on the third week talking about plot twists that happen in our marriages. It's going to be good. And then finishing strong in our marriage all the way to the end into the credits, Pastor Ryan and Sarah are going to be sharing about that on that week. So you're not going to want to miss any of these weeks together. So it's going to be amazing. So uh, we remember that movie when Mm -hmm. we hear Happily Ever After, the Disney movie that's called that, right? Snow White. Story of Snow White. Mm -hmm. The prince, the seven dwarfs. The prince is captured, but Snow White is able to flee. And then Snow White and the seven dwarfs travel to the castle, but eventually Snow White is reunited with her Mm -hmm. prince, and they lived happily Happily ever after. after. Right? We're reminded of that. Right, and that's how fairy tales are supposed to end, right? And Mm -hmm. we like the story that has the twists and the turns, and and, and just when we feel like all hope is lost and we're on the edge of our seat, the good guy comes through and wins the day. I mean, we just love that, Uh right? We do. But, But here's the thing. Life isn't a fairy tale. 
Right. And so much of what we see on the big screen, and maybe even some stuff that's been modeled for us, is counterculture to what God's word says. And so mm. we're devoting this next, next four weeks because it's that important. What does God say about marriage? And right. we want to talk about that. You know, we cheer when the handsome knight comes in and rescues the beautiful <laughs> princess from the fire-breathing dragon, right? We cheer for that. The problem is, is nowadays there's not many knights to be found in real life. And, and most of them aren't all that good looking. And, and some of them are going to run from the battle instead of run to the battle. True. <laughs> and, and not every princess wants to be rescued. And True. sometimes the fire-breathing dragon wins. Right. See, life isn't a fairy tale, and that's how it looks in a non-fairy tale world. Yeah, sometimes there's very unrealistic expectations in how we view marriage. Even before we get to marriage, even inside of marriage, we have unrealistic expectations. There, according to Pew Research, the public is divided over the value of marriage right now. 50% of people believe they're just as well off if people have other priorities other than marriage. 46% say they're better off if marriage and children are a priority. And here are some of the most common unrealistic expectations in marriage, like my spouse is responsible for my happiness. Oh, yeah. We hear that. That's right? a big one. That's mm-hmm. an unrealistic expectation. Yeah. Or my spouse completes me. Mm. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that one. That's going to be good. My spouse will never change, mm. right? We look at that and don't, don't, don't point at them. But that, you're thinking, you know, that's me. <laughs> my spouse's life should revolve only around me. Mm. All of our time should be spent together, no one else. My way is the right way. How about that one? That's a myth. Unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. And expectations are huge. We talk about that a lot in our premarital counseling sessions with couples who are going to get married, helping them clarify some of the expectations that are going to to come. Mm -hmm. You know, we hit the credits at the end of a movie and we cheer. How many of you like to clap at the end of a a good movie in the theater and you're clapping? You are my people. I do too. No one else does. And I'm like, oh, that was so good. Yeah, I love it. You know, sometimes, though, the man and the woman, they do get together despite all the twists and the turns of fate. And that's exactly what happens today in the story of Ruth that we're going to look at today. What starts with sadness ends with joy. And there's this man and this woman who they don't even know each other. In fact, there's almost no way they could have met, much less become husband and wife. Um, (laughs) But after the I do's come and... They all live happily ever after, right? We know that the problems don't just go away. No, they don't. And here's what we want to say here. Mm -hmm. Marriage doesn't really create problems. It just reveals them, Mm -hmm. right? Some don't even want to admit that, but it's true. The majority of our marriage problems are relatively minor. Matter of fact, you've heard them. They're petty. Like, which end of the tube of toothpaste do we squeeze from? Who cares? Who cares, you know? Or whether to make your bed in the morning or not, right? I mean, you like to make our bed in the morning. I like to make the bed. John is like, why? (laughs) Like, we're just going to get in it. So, yeah. So, sometimes I get super petty and just make my side of the bed, (laughs) right? I know. It's petty. Jesus is working on me, for sure. I mean, but all the pillows that have to go on the bed after they're made, I'm like, let's just leave them on the floor. I'm taking them off tonight. Right? Yeah. Right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Got a dude back there with pillows. I like it. So, 
Oh, no, you're on his side? Oh, okay, sorry. Well, Thank you. Never mind. <laughs> so what makes these issues mm-hmm. major are problems mm-hmm. in us mm-hmm. that would be there if we're married or single. Yeah. Marriage is the arena in, in which these little problems magnify the larger problems that are already in our heart. So today, week one of the series, we're going to ask the question as we perceive and we're looking at marriage, what does it look like to live happily even after? Yeah. Not just ever after, but even after the problems, right. the struggles, mm-hmm. and the twists. Yeah. And so we're going to look at the book of Ruth. You know, the book of Ruth is only four chapters long. It will take you about 10 minutes to read. If you want to get the whole story, we encourage you to take that time and get familiar with that. But we're just going to give some highlights. But this book of Ruth really highlights real life. Mm -hmm. And it highlights the value of marriage. But the very last paragraph in the book of Ruth brings everything together, making it one of the greatest short stories ever told. But you're going to have to get all the way to the end because there is a final twist that is just amazing. And it's in the last few chapters that really would even flabbergast the main characters, Ruth and Boaz, because when God gets involved in the happily even after, it takes on a whole new meaning. See, the even after part stretches way beyond Ruth and Boaz to another young couple found in Bethlehem in a barnyard that 1,000 years later. Isn't that crazy? It all connects. It really does. It all connects. God has a way of doing that. And this one will blow your mind, the book of Ruth. But first, let's recap a little bit of the storyline. Ruth married Malon shortly after Malon's father died. And they had been married for 10 years when Malon and his brother died. She was probably a teenager when she got married to him. Uh, happily she, in love. They're happily totally in love. In love. Hap- yeah. she, she, mm-hmm. We know she had to be in love with him because when he died, she dedicated herself to Naomi. Yeah, and Naomi now is Ruth's mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And this woman is a woman whose heart has been flooded with bitterness because not only has she lost her husband, now she's lost her two sons. And in that day, mm-hmm. in that culture, that was devastating. So she has two two daughter-in-laws that she really can offer nothing to. And so she sends them back and says, go back to your homeland, go back to your mamas. I, there's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing I can give you. And the other daughter-in-law returns home. But we know the story of Ruth, and this is where that, that common saying you probably heard of, where you go, I will go. Where, um, your God will be my, my God, and your people, my people. Right. Um, and we see that Ruth stays with Naomi. She doesn't leave her. She's dedicated to her. She, and so right. then Naomi and Ruth, they accompany one another back to Naomi's homeland, mm-hmm. where then the story picks up, where they have nothing. And they're coming in um, just trusting the Lord. Yeah. And so we have here three scenes that are broken up mm-hmm. inside of this book that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Scene number one, which we see as the beginning. Okay. Every good love story has a beginning. And here it is, Ruth 4, verse 13. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. Now, that was fast, right? One sentence, bam, there it is. After the buildup of preceding chapters, the writer uses one sentence to summarize the marriage, the consummation, and the birth of their son. 
But there's a lot happening here. There is. And there's three big things that happen, mm -hmm. one right after another. Boaz marries Ruth. Ruth gets pregnant. And now Ruth gives birth to a son. Now, we aren't told about many details of these joyful events. I mean, these are great big events. These are events True. to be celebrated. But we're not told many details. And perhaps it's because these events themselves, are they point to um, something that is much greater. Yeah. See, the book of Ruth is more than an ancient love story. It's, mm. it, Ruth gives, gets married, she gets a husband, she gives birth, and these are big, momentous events, but they aren't the main point. No, they're not. Um, this is way more than a love story because God is up to something. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that in our relationships in our marriage today. No matter what is going on, God is up to something, and he is doing something that we cannot see or don't even know about. That happens for Ruth and Boaz. Verse 13, we're going to get to this in just a moment, reminds us how God works through the ordinary to accomplish his purpose. You know, it's not as if Boaz and Ruth say, hey, let's get married, make a baby, so that you can be the great-grandmother of King David. Neither of them knew a thing about David at that point. Still less, they would have imagined uh, a baby being born to a virgin, you know, a thousand years later, who'd be the savior of the world, but Boaz and Ruth weren't aiming to even be part of Jesus' family tree that we're going to talk about in a moment in Matthew chapter 1. They were in love, they got married, they had a baby, mm -hmm. and that's how it's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. The book of Ruth doesn't even mention bridal showers, bachelor parties, or any other details of the wedding day, right? Uh, I'm sure it was a happy celebration, but we see they didn't even mention that. God brought this unlikely couple together as part of a much bigger plan. When they consummated their marriage, they had no clue of the larger meaning. They were simply doing what married people have done since the beginning of time. And God is up to something, and God has a plan. Right. Which brings us... To scene, scene two, 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 which we're going to call marriage in the middle. So the I do's are said, and now life starts to begin, right? So the goal of every marriage is to glorify God. Did you know that? Amen. The goal of your marriage today is that you would give glory to God. The, the goal of our marriage is that we mm. would glorify God it's in true. everything we do. And marriage is a great way to display the love of God to a lost world. Yeah, you know, Christ is the source of all love. He's the source of all joy. And yes, we were created to love one mm. another, but we were created to love God, our Father. Mm. And our marriages and everything we do should point to Christ. Because really, marriage is giving us a foretaste of what heaven is going to look like yeah. and what the kingdom of God is going to look like. True. And so we, as we understand that and we glean that from God's word, there can be some things in our marriage that hold us back from glorifying God the most. Like this is the most widely accepted myth in our culture. We just said a moment ago, the most widely worshiped false God, we think romantic love completes us. Yeah. Yes. Many of us, maybe you think of that for a moment, you thought of that heart-touching scene and Jerry Maguire or Tom Cruise looks at Renee Zellweger and says, Remember that one? <laughs> you complete me? Yeah. Right, you remember that? Yeah. That's how we see it. I'm incomplete mm -hmm. until you love me and I'm everything I am because you love me. Cue Celine Dion, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can hear it in our songs. Yeah. Now, when I think of this illustration, I think back... And we think back to our high school days, yeah. we're children of the 80s, everyone knows music reached its pinnacle back then, right? Yeah. 
for sure. For sure. Yeah. Peter Cetera, anyone? Come on, you know this song. Sing it. You know I love was meant to be. Oh, that's good. Kind of love to last forever. Wow, look at the mood lighting. And I want you here with me. So amazing. I love the flashlight. <laughs> Come on now. What a, what a throwback. Oh, wow, man. you did amazing. That was so good. That's all in fun, right? You know, we were reading an interview uh, about Matt Dillon the other day, and we talked about it because he was saying that most people in Hollywood are relationship junkies, and it got us talking. And what is a relationship junkie? And it's someone who yeah. gets high off of a relationship like a drug. And so mm. you go from one relationship to the next relationship. You know, Kesha even has a song about this. Your love, your your love, your love is my drug. And it lasts about 18 months, which is how long most psychologists will say that infatuation takes to wear off. And then you need a new hit. Mm -hmm. But we understand like all drugs, it doesn't work. That you weren't created to be completed by the love of another human being. It's only complete by the love of Jesus Christ. Lonely, insecure, unhappy single people become lonely, insecure, unhappy married people. That's right. That's right. See, the drug of a new relationship, it doesn't fix it. Mm-hmm. It, it. You may think for a short amount of time it does, but then it wears off. And what happens is it leaves us craving for something more. Problems like loneliness, insecurity, unhappiness are not cured by another human's companionship. They are cured by the love of right. Christ. Gary Thomas said this, marriage doesn't solve emptiness, it exposes it. If someone can't live without you, he or she will never be happy living with you either. And here's where we find the tension, that every good love story has tension, and we like that. This is the middle of a story where, you know, the newness wears off, and real life sets in, and you've lost that loving feeling. We know that one too. We know all about that. Here's what we'll say on this is, We weren't designed to meet the deep soul needs of another human being. Only Jesus can do that. That's right. You know, every one of us was created with a void in our life that is meant for only God to fill. It was created by God, and it only Mm -hmm. can be filled by God. And until we give him that place, and so many people we see trying to fill that void with other things, but until you give God that proper place to meet your deepest need in your life, you're Mm -hmm. never going to be fulfilled. In fact, when you try to fill it with that with your spouse, something that your spouse has never been intended to fill, you're going to become disappointed, you're going to become discouraged, and you'll eventually become bitter toward that 
that person because they're not meeting that need. They're not meeting that expectation that you have. They weren't designed to meet that need. It's no, an weren't. unfair expectation to put on someone because only God was. Yeah, only God is. And you know, many times in our lives, we watched how marriages have worked for some and hasn't worked for others. And sometimes we see the trailer of their life and their marriage and we're like, wow, I want that kind of marriage. Right? We all have somebody like that in our life. We see somebody, and uh, they're living such an incredible marriage before God. It's not perfect, no. Mm-hmm. Other times we look at somebody's marriage and we're like, uh-uh, I watched the trailer. I don't want nothing to do with that. Messy. Uh-uh. Right? It's messy. Yeah. But you know, marriages do get messy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's just get real. Yeah. They do. Yeah. And that is life. Not meant to stay there, but you have to continue to fight even when it gets messy. You have to believe like in this story, that God is up to something and his plan never fails us. That's for sure. That's right. You know, one of the greatest compliments I think we can receive is, wow, we love how you love each other. And we love that you're, you, you guys um, have such a good marriage. And that, first of all, let me just say, I'm glad that God has been um, shined through in our Amen. marriage. So and I'm, he gets all the glory because it's not always been easy. There's been times where we've struggled through things, uh, many times that we've had to work through. See, you see the highlight reel. But right. just like you, we're working through stuff. And to God be the glory that we can still display his glory, um, even through our marriage to the tough times, but we still have struggles and we have struggled and we're going to overcome. And guess what? When we struggle again, we're going to overcome again the next time. And, and just because here's the thing, just because you have some hard times in your marriage, just because it might not always be happy, it doesn't mean you don't have a good marriage. No, it means that you're just walking out God's plan for your life. It means that God is at work and he is up to something it means that you're taking the next step in front of you, and as you face unexpected obstacles, you're going to walk by faith, and you're going to let God do the rest and put it in his hands. You know, beware so of the temptation to try to figure God out. Yeah. Really. Beware of the temptation to try to figure out because you figure God out because you can't. And it's mm-hmm. going to lead to a bunch of wasted time and it's going to lead to missed opportunity. You know, sometimes the best advice we can give is the simplest advice. Just do the next thing. Just do the next thing. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He's going to show you that next step. He's going to show you that path. So what did Ruth and Boaz do? Well, they got married and they had a baby. That was God's will for them. And they didn't know Mm -hmm. the bigger picture at the time and they didn't try to figure it out. No, they didn't. There is always a bigger picture that's going on in all of our lives. that none of us can see right now. We can't. There's no way possible. We're not God. But God sees ahead and he knows what's next. And I think as we come through this, we have to realize that let's all believe together that our marriages are a gift. Amen. Amen. Right? Let's start looking at it that way. Not unrealistic, but your marriage is a gift that God has given to you. It was his idea. Right? So marriage is a gift that teaches you and me about the love of God. Right? It's how God meets some of our desires for companionship, affection, affirmation, security. Marriage has taught Chris and I more about the gospel than all of our years at Bible college, right? It's true. All of our years of learning scripture. You know, in Bible college, I learned about theology and doctrine. My marriage teaches me about doctrine Hands and theology. Hands on training, baby. Hello? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That is the best. Mm-hmm. 
So you have to go through it. You understand it. You're learning things. And so that big need of grace, that we need to have grace with one another and give grace. So, so real quick here, for, for the singles in the room, we want to talk a little bit to you today as well. Maybe you're here today and your single's a Pringle, but I want you to know this. Reject the e-harmony myth. Nothing wrong with e-harmony, but the myth is that, you, that if you can't find the right person, your life is going to be a mess, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That, that if you can just find the perfect person, you will have the perfect marriage, yeah. right? And so you're almost paralyzed trying to find Mr. Right or Miss Right. That's right. There's a lot of people paralyzed by that, mm-hmm. that if I don't find that one. Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah. It's because we've all bought into the Tim, <laughs> what Tim Keller calls the apocalyptic romance, where there's, in this great big world, there's just one person out there that you're supposed to be with, and you have to find them and mingle through. And you know what? Most of the wow. plots in Hollywood, that's what we see the story, is that there's this man and there's this woman, and their entire lives, what they've lived up until this point, all is pending on them meeting. It's their fate. It's their destiny. And they exchange some witty banter and and they have this Disney-esque romance where they fall in love and they get married. And once the story fades out, if there's a sequel, it's boring and no one wants to watch it because we're getting the message that married people's lives are boring, right? Mm. You know, the message is clear. Life begins and ends with romance. And that's not true. That's just not true. But it does take some work to keep it yeah, so the news by. flash in this is there is no perfect person, right? And if you think you found one, check their hand, and unless it's nail scarred, it's just an illusion that you're going to see through after 18 months. Yeah. That's how long it takes for an unrealistic infatuation to wear off. Here's the point. Because you idolize marriage, you're trying to find the perfect person. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. You're terrified that you're going to marry the wrong one. And if you are married, miserable thinking you're married to the wrong one, right? And, and let me give you something that will help, help your marriage. You always marry the wrong person. Do I have your attention now? Some of you are ready for that one. In fact, Kristen says she's been married to about three Johns throughout our 29 years of marriage. Why? Because I change, and so do you. You and I change as we grow older in marriage and life. Things happen. We're not the same person we were a year ago. That's right. Two years ago, five years ago, absolutely not. I changed. So even if you do marry the right person, they'll likely change, mm-hmm. and so will you, and then they'll become the wrong person. So you just got to know that. You have That's to true. continue to right. stay in it for the long haul. That's right. And the e-harmony myth that, it, that happens in marriage depends on that happy marriage depends on finding just that perfect person. But here's the thing, you know, compatibility has a lot to do with this, but more so than if you want a happy marriage, you need to have grace, grace, grace. And And all the married couples in the room right now are saying, amen, you need to have grace. Because here's the thing, the point of marriage is not to make you happy by finding your perfect soulmate. The point of marriage is to make you holy by teaching you to love like Jesus. Isn't that good? Wow, that is so different than what our culture in Hollywood teaches, right? Our marriages have been called to make Mm -hmm. us holy, more important than anything else. Yeah, Elise Fitzpatrick, this is a great quote. The point of marriage is to learn to wash the feet of another sinner. I'm going to say it again. The point of marriage is to learn to wash the feet of another sinner. 
one who sins against you, one who disappoints you, one who betrays you. Yeah, that's so true. Wow. Yeah, that's a great quote. That's a thinker. You know, about at the age of about 25, a lot of young ladies, they freak out. I'm not married. Oh, my goodness. Got to find a guy. Guys do too. I got to find a guy. Any guy will do. Any girl will do. Right. Any married person will tell you that it's more miserable to be married to the wrong person than it is to be single. This guy, ladies, is going to be the biggest influence on your children besides God. Who will be more important to you than anything else on the earth besides God in the ways of God? So don't settle for a guy who won't lead them, a godly man who won't lead them spiritually. Don't settle for that. And so you got to realize that in your life. Don't settle. So, so it's, it's funny you look at this story here. Yeah, well, even though there's no perfect person, yeah. girls, you need to be a little bit choosy, and you need to be a little smart. So we brought along just a little funny thing to put on the screen, and I'm going to start reading it, but I'm going to let you finish it on your own for obvious reasons. So, so to all the girls who are in a hurry to have a boyfriend, get married, a piece of biblical advice, Ruth patiently waited for her, her mate Boaz. While you're waiting for your Boaz, don't settle for any of his relatives. Broke as, Poaz, lazy as. <laughs> we'll let, let you, you read it and fill that. in the blanks. Isn't that good? Girls, that's some good advice right there. So, yes, no one is perfect. I love the last line of that one. But let you, you can be a little picky and make sure he loves Jesus with his whole heart. You got more than what you bargained for today, didn't you, when you Amen. came in the doors of this church? Yeah. That's true, though. You know, yeah. you got to find the right person, that yeah. godly person. Got to find the right person. You got to find well, the right person. Well, even though there is no perfect person, there is a right person for you. That's right. So, mm-hmm. before moving to our next one, we're going to give you a few practical uh, points here, really quick. Find a marriage mentor, another person who can come alongside of you, pray with you, help you, give you godly counsel. You know, there are a lot of great marriages in this church mm-hmm. that have stood the test of time. You know a good marriage. You see it. Go and ask them. Talk to them. Say, hey, can we take you out to dinner? We'd like to get to know you more. We'd like to ask you some questions about your marriage. Yeah. Let's not be afraid to do that. Mm -hmm. That's why the body of Christ is here. We've had people in our life that have done that when we've struggled, and we can take it to them. You know, most of the time, they've been there and done that. If they have any years or a season on their life, they have walked through some stuff. So, yeah, find that. Rub shoulders. Mm -hmm. So, number two, be good forgivers. Don't hold on to offenses because I'm going to tell you that will just simply poison your relationship. If you have trouble forgiving, and I know that's a a tough issue, but if there's something you're having trouble letting go, can I just tell you, um, encourage you even maybe to get counsel on that Mm -hmm. and seek the Lord. How can you get over that? Because sometimes there's just a process to that and you need someone to walk you through. So being Mm -hmm. good forgivers... um, it's really important. Yeah, stay friends and stay friendly with your spouse, right? Be there for one another, enjoy one another. And, um, you know, your spouse should be your best friend, right? So you should be marrying that person. That's your best friend. There shouldn't be another best friend besides your spouse first. How many of you are with me on this? 
That's really true. Yeah, and enjoy one another. I mean, truly enjoy one another. Laugh with each other. Think of fun things to do together. Yeah, that's really important. Um, find good tools to help communicate. You know, one of the biggest things, when John and I meet with couples in our office, which is something we love to do, most of the time, by the time they come to us, their relationship is fairly toxic. And they don't even know how to communicate at this point in a healthy way. So give, learning some tools where you can communicate in a healthy way um, and get that. That's really important. So important. Um, Another one, talk about your expectations. Talk about your disappointments and your hopes with your spouse. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are important to talk about. Mm -hmm. Clarity and and moving forward and uh, what are you expecting? What are you disappointed about? What are your hopes? What are you happy about? Yeah. And then lastly is dream together. You know, we love, Mm -hmm. one of our favorite date night ideas is just to have coffee and just play the what if game. You know, where do you see yourself in five years? And what if this happened? And my goodness, what, you know, what would we do with this? And um, it's just fun to dream together and just hear each other's hopes and dreams. It's, it's really, really a great. It is. I mean, you can't just look at just what's in front of you today. You have to dream and vision forward. That's in the heart of God for your marriage, for your family, what God has for you, what he wants to do in you. What is he saying to you today that will take you to tomorrow? Dream big for the Lord. We need to get back to dreaming. Amen? Amen. That's for sure. And then scene three, here comes the blessing. Holy water blessing. Some people have trouble with the way Ruth ends. Let's look at it. Chapter 4, 18 through 22. Now, these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. That doesn't seem very exciting to us, but it's how the book of Ruth comes to an end. And this is where we would insert Ruth and Boaz lived happily ever after. That's what we would say. Mm-hmm. We like our fairy tales to be happy. The book ends with a genealogy, and we wonder, well, what's up with that? Because we like the happily ever after. God wants us to know that he is up to something bigger, and something bigger is happening here. We don't know for a fact that Ruth and Boaz lived happily ever after. Right. I'm sure they did. Yeah. That's for sure. And and no doubt, they enjoyed each other. They enjoyed their son, Obed, and watching the joy in Naomi's eyes as she played with her grandson. We assume that's what happened, but there's no... Uh, reason to think otherwise, that's for sure. Yeah, but the, the Bible really doesn't mention it. It doesn't, no, it doesn't mention anything about it. See, the hero of the story of the book of Ruth, it isn't Ruth. And it's not Boaz, and it's not Naomi, and it's not even Obed. The hero of the story is God. But I want you to think about this. How many miracles did we read in the book of Ruth? None. How many times did God speak audibly in this book of Ruth, zero. You know, there's no burning bushes. There's no voice that speaks from heaven. The waters don't part. The walls don't tumble. Um, and mm-hmm. there, is, there are no miracles that we can point to in the book of Ruth. That, and that really is true. And so that's the wonder, though, of the story. God accomplishes his purpose through the normal outworking of life. Mm-hmm. The story starts, even before this, on a somber note, with a famine an ill-advised trip, and three graves in Moab. That's how it begins. 
When two widows then show up in Bethlehem, their future really seems bleak in this. And then one day, seemingly by chance, Ruth ends up in the field of Boaz. And the story turns then in a new direction, we see. The friendship blossoms into a romance. A midnight encounter leads to a proposal. A clever deal gives Boaz the right to marry Ruth, and then Obed is born. So where is the miracle in all this? Well, the answer is the miracle is nowhere and everywhere. Because God is at work behind the scenes, orchestrating every detail of their life, like he is orchestrating the details of your life and my life today, our relationships, our marriages today, in the ordinary, God is working. And the genealogy then is the moral of the story that we have from God's word. It is. Yeah, it brings us to really the end, the end of Ruth, the end of the book of Ruth where the genealogy is stated. And what seems to be aimlessly really tacked on here shows us what the moral of the story is, that God worked in unlikely ways through unexpected events to bring a Moabite woman named Ruth into King David's family tree. But there is so much more going on here. So much more. This same genealogy, did you know, appears in the New Testament? See, when Matthew wrote the gospel, he begins it this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 3 and 6, it repeats the genealogy that we find in Ruth chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. And that's why Ruth ends with the family tree. It does. And when the story began, Ruth was nowhere to be found, right? She's in Moab, little knowing or dreaming of the strange path her life was about ready to take. But God knew it all along. Uh, Nothing that happens in this story just happens. It's all a part of God's plan. As the story ends, Ruth has faded into the background. She and Boaz are raising their son Obed Mm -hmm. under Naomi's watchful eye. And a river of history then we see flows from Genesis to Revelation through the word of God spanning hundreds and thousands of generations, really. The Bible contains 66 books written, many different authors over 1,500 years. It has one message, this, God's plan to bring salvation to the world through Jesus Christ. And everything in the Bible fits around that theme. And that's so important for us to realize. Mm -hmm. Everything is fitting together like God wants to bring it together. Yeah, and we can learn such an important lesson from this story today. And it really can encourage us because wherever God has you right now, we can know that God is working. You know, we rarely see all that God intends in the moment. And sometimes we never see it. Just as Ruth never knew about David, and never knew of Jesus coming in her line. But God will take everything, the good and the bad, and who knows what God wants to do with that. But we can know that God is at work. You know, some things won't make any sense right now and may never make sense to us, but we can trust the hand of God. You know, God has no loose ends. He, He has never, no unfinished business, but we can know and we can trust that he is up to something in your marriage. Right. We don't even have a clue of it today, but he is. He's doing something right now in us. Here is something that is so important in the transition of this book that we want to bring as we talk about marriage here as we conclude, that marriage is a call to redeem each other. How do we redeem our spouse? That's this story. That's the story of the, the book 
of every book of the Bible, that one person is doing the right thing while the other person is doing the wrong thing. And we know the, the person that's in the right is still loving the person that is being wronged by them, right? That is continually that what we see throughout the word of God. The word redeem means to bring back or to buy back. It's the process of one person sacrificially loving the other person while they're being wrong for the purpose of bringing that person back to the right place. While we are in our sins, Jesus was dying for us. While I was doing the wrong thing, Jesus was doing the right thing. The, the reason we love Jesus is not because we have to, but the reason that we love Jesus is because he's our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Right? Yeah. He, he bought us back. Where do we find Christ and Ruth? He's the kinsman redeemer, pictured by Boaz, who willingly redeemed both the land and the woman he loved. And we see that the Old Testament flows into the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. It tells us Jesus Christ had roots, right? He had a family tree. He, he didn't just drop out of heaven. He didn't appear magically on the scene, but at the perfect moment, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now I had Ruth 4 to Matthew chapter 1, and then we can begin to see the big picture. And, and I think it's important to see here, why did Matthew include the genealogy? Is because I think Matthew wants to show us that our Lord came from very a very human background. Yeah. You know, he it came from a background that included a prostitute and a woman from a nation founded on incest. I mean, it's not the most savory pictured in the world, is it? But the hero of the story is God and how God's grace shines through really the blackest of human sin. And he chooses flawed women and flawed men and he places them in Jesus's family tree. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. The genealogy of the Bible lets us know that Jesus calls himself friend of sinners and he was comfortable being around sinners. He didn't wear a hazmat suit like a scientist studying some dreaded disease. He put on human flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And Jesus joined a race of pathetic losers so that he could redeem those that would believe in him. No matter what your past, what is it saying? Jesus can save you. Are there any murderers listening today? Are there any prostitutes listening today? How about any cheaters? Any thieves? Any hypocrites? The good news in the story is no matter what you've done in the past, Jesus can save you. Jesus' story starts where Ruth's story ends in Bethlehem. I mean, hey, if a prostitute can be saved, you can be saved. If a murderer can be forgiven, you can be forgiven. If a foreigner can join God's family, there's hope for you and me. And it's out of these ordinary things, God prepared the way for Ruth to enter the family tree of Jesus. Through the twists and turns, through the craziness, when it didn't even seem like God was there, he's there. And he's with you today. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening in your marriage, there's maybe a struggle. You may be thinking about divorce today. Maybe you're thinking about it for a long time. But, but we see here that God's, God has interwoven himself into our story. If you're a believer today, you're interwoven. God has interwoven you into the story. That's what this is saying. He hasn't forgotten you. You're in the middle of it. 
And no matter how difficult it is, he's right there with you today. He hasn't left you. If you know Jesus, we have to believe this, that we believe that the best is yet to come. Let's change our thinking from happily ever after to happily even after the craziness, right? That marriage is God's idea. Remember, marriage is God's idea. What idea do people get of God when they see our marriage? And it's not just about our story. It's about God's story. It's a greater story. So if you're in a difficult place today, it's God's story. He can restore you. He can heal you. He can bring unity. He can be reconciliation and forgiveness. Here's what I want to say in this. Let's stop it as spouses trying to be the heroes of our story because we're doing a terrible job. Right? Right? Let's just be real. God is the hero of our story. Let's let God be the hero of our story. Right? Come on, if we could have fixed our story, we would have done it by now. We can't. We need his help. That's what the word is about. God is our hero. God wants to save you. He wants to save your marriage. That Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer to come and buy us back to redeem us because God is up to something today. He is your redeemer. He has purchased you for a reason and a purpose and he is in the middle of your story today no matter how difficult it is. Maybe you're coming out the other side today and you're just like, yes, this is just confirmation that God was with me all along in my story. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We welcome you to be the hero of our story. Yes, Lord. That you want to save us and you want to save our marriages. There may be marriages today that are on the brink of devastation, on the brink of divorce or separation, God. We invite you into our story, God, that you would come and heal us. You would unite our hearts with our spouse. You would reconcile our differences. We would be people that forgive each other. We would work through our bitterness today. And that, God, we realize through Jesus Christ that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer that has purchased us with his blood on the cross. And that, God, you are up to something. You are doing something greater that we cannot see see today, but you are interwoven in our stories today. And, Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. And we give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.